And really with a lot of the college coaches, some are just like, yes, summer college baseball. We want to send them to you, Greg. We know they're in good hands. We want these guys coming back healthy. They they never got what they got with us for uh, innings. We want them to go compete for a championship, play in front of you know 2,000 fans on a Friday night and learn how to compete, learn how to win. Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear here with Ryan Croton and Jordan Oseguera. And today we have a special guest on the line, Greg Morrison. Uh, we love to have new people on the podcast who can bring a different perspective to the game. Um, Greg's very unique in the fact that he has lots of different perspectives on the game because he was a professional player for 12 seasons um, and you know quite accomplished at the level he was at. Uh, and then turned around and, and got a, a degree in kinesiology and actually has his own clinic and also is the owner of an actual baseball organization as well. So he's seeing the game from a lot of different eyes. And uh, we just love to um, get him on here and kind of just talk about, you know, where the game's going and, and some of the things that we're doing around keeping players healthy and, and helping them improve their performance. And uh, Ryan, I don't know how long you've known Greg, but um, I'm going to let you kind of set this up. Yeah, so so I actually recently met him, and um, you know, being a fellow Canadian, I'm I'm always got my eye out for other interesting people in baseball. We're we're very patriotic, um, but we're also you know very proud of being baseball players because anybody who comes from you know the country should be born on skates, and uh, it's you know obviously hockey is a big sport in Canada, and to be able to find you know, people who are, you know, done some great things in baseball. And if you look at his resume, um, being a professional player in a, in a bunch of different uh, organizations and, you know, digging in, you know, his involvement being a GM with a collegiate summer league team. And, um, you know, he's a clinician. There's, there's just a lot that uh, Greg offers. And we just had a quick conversation before we started this podcast um, that really resonated. And he's, he said, you know, he described himself as a baseball generalist. And uh, there's there's lots of new insights now uh, about performance in, in sport, about being a general athlete. There's been some books written, one's called Range. But when we look at the field of, of baseball and, uh, and coaching in general, that's really a goal that uh, that we should have, you know, in terms of our platform, we want to make people generalists, even though they're specialists. So, you know, I'm a strength coach, but I enjoy learning about pitching data and ball flight characteristics and really dig in on what Jordan knows. And, you know, I share a lot of insights about the, the field of strength and conditioning and sports science with Jordan. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that we need to do with our community. So, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to dig in early there's something that Greg has done. I want him to talk a little bit about this experience and the year that he had, but um, Greg was a triple crown winner in minor league baseball. And, and to do that at any level is a tremendous feat. And uh, I really want you, Greg, to kind of walk us through what that season was like, you know, the preparation that you had and how you dealt with pressure and uh, you know, hopefully the insights that you have, can help a lot of our players that are out there that are listening to this this podcast. Yeah, and thank you for the invitation to talk all things baseball with you guys. I'm uh, excited to learn, and I think uh, generalists, you know, we we have that growth mindset just like you guys do, and 
you're learning about uh, budgets and then you're learning about data and exit velocities. So um, yeah, and, and uh, I was very lucky in that I, I got drafted by the Dodgers. They gave me a couple kicks at the cat there at the can a couple of years and decided I wasn't a big league prospect. And, and the Jays signed, you know, the local kid, the Medicine Hat Pioneer League Jays and uh, had an amazing summer. You can only imagine you're in, your, you're in your hometown, you got your family and friends, but yet you got your baseball buddies on your team who are there all summer. And um, yeah, it was, it was a heck of a year. It was, uh, you know, 448 batting average, 88 ribs and uh, RBIs and, and then 23 home runs, which set the Pioneer League record. And, um, you know, I, I attribute a lot of that to leading into that season. I'd been released from the Dodgers and I was, I was back coaching high school ball. I was out of professional baseball and I got a job as a demolition man of all things. Right. So I'm swinging this five, five and 10, 12 pound sledger knocking down walls for three months. And this is before, you know, sports specific training, right. We were all in the mid nineties looking at, uh, you know, muscle and fitness and bodybuilding routines. Right. So we were built a little different, uh, loading up the back squats and, and doing our pushing and pulling, but we weren't doing much med ball work. Um, we weren't doing much rotational stuff and, you know, swinging that sledge for two or three months in addition to my, my strength training. Uh, you know, I had one of those big R one sixty ones and just felt like a pencil, like a twig, right. And I'm <laughs> best shape of my life, two Oh five. And, um, you know, it was, we were playing against the Dodgers in that league. And I can remember one of my old coaches going, yeah, we might have we might have messed up on that one, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, it was it was a heck of a summer uh, to be lucky enough as a Canuck, you know, growing up and going from uh, high school baseball where you're playing hockey and golf to now you're making Team Canada, and all of a sudden the Dodgers are drafting you, and uh, you know they don't have 71 rounds anymore. I can tell you that. So I probably wouldn't have got my 12 years, but uh, you know I was a draft and follow back then, and was lucky to get my 12 years of baseball out of it. Oh man, I, I identify with you on the sledgehammer. So when I played winter ball in Australia, um, I found an, another day job, you know, that was very physical. I was knocking down burnt homes. So the poor wow. thing, like go, going through these homes that people have lost so much of their belongings. Um, this guy brought me in and he, he, he was a, a fan of the baseball team and he wanted to know if any of us wanted extra work. And uh, I can attest, you know, swinging that sledgehammer you know, daily and, and it, it wasn't a training exercise for me as, as an athlete. You know, you see you see guys hitting tires, um, working on that differentiated rotation and, um, you know, knocking down walls and breaking down houses. And after a day like that, man, I was exhausted. Uh, I definitely didn't do it on game days. So, uh, yeah, right. but I didn't have the, the opportunity to do it for an off season where I didn't have, you know, quite the playing load, but I can attest to, to what you're saying on rotation. It's just so interesting as far as where you kind of were, were brought up in the game, because during the, the early nineties, you know, um, performance enhancing drugs started to become a thing, you know, in the baseball body has had changed. And on one token, um, yeah, it was, it was a black mark on baseball because people were cheating. But as far as my field, I remember in 1992, there was a book that came out that Jose Canseco and Dave McKay put together. I was in the sixth or seventh grade and Dave McKay is a, is a Canadian, you know, he's a Canadian guy who's, who's been in major league baseball for a while is with the athletics and, uh, the Cardinals and, 
think a couple other teams, but they made this, this uh, training book that when I saw it, I'm like, I want to do that. I want to look like that. You know, unfortunately, uh, I, I didn't have the genetics for it, you know, to be 242 pounds and, you know, Jose Canseco size. Um, but I wanted to train, you know, it got us kind of into the, the, the mix of, of uh, strength and conditioning and, and, and what, it, what it meant. And I started to think about it, of, you know, my physical education classes um, became much more interesting to me when I would talk to my, my, P, my PE teacher about training. And that time in elementary school, there was no curriculum for fitness and strength training, right? The, the first thing that they want to do is they give you a ball, you know, to play organized games. And, um, I played, uh, some, some baseball in Germany and I was a substitute teacher for one of their classes and they taught fitness. They taught sprinting, they taught jumping, they taught working with sandbags, things that are resistance training to, to kids that were in the sixth and seventh grade, which I thought was really interesting. So, you know, you grew up in a time where the baseball body just changed, you know, we started looking at training. I mean, I, in the locker rooms, probably you can attest you were getting hot dogs and donuts probably for, you know, your your pregame meals. I mean, there wasn't really an emphasis on nutrition, but the training then became such a big thing. And we were seeing the baseball body change. So I think that that was interesting. I, I don't know, you know, Jordan, what you know, what your experience was like, you know, seeing pitchers. But for me, you know, watching the pitchers bodies change was also interesting, you know? So I kind of want to let you talk about, you know, things you might've seen with Tom House at that time. You were, you know, a young guy uh, working with him, but you probably saw a lot of those pitchers that kind of came through the nineties programs. Yeah. What, what, what I, what I noticed is I was about seven years too late. If I was, if I was seven years younger or older, man, I'd have been a, really high-end draft pick and you know i can i can uh, relate to greg i think i was like yeah because back back then there was no limit on the rounds like teams would just drop out of the draft and out of high school i was in like round like 86 or like 94 is a uh is a draft and fall with the red Sox. i had john boer was was the scout that that chose me um but again it was just like hey we're taking you as a second baseman and but yeah like you know a lot of things changed because it, it went from you know, Tom House was kind of one of those first guys to introduce weightlifting for pitchers into baseball, and everyone thought it was nuts. He had to do it kind of behind closed doors and sneak around. And but then you saw those those guys that were into weightlifting, and the body started changing. That not only were they, you know, still tall, but they started packing on more mass with it as well. So it changed almost. I would say within a matter of three years, the body types changed drastically and aggressively to where it was. Hey, everyone, do yoga everyone stretch and, and jog into everyone sprint lift and mix in a little bit of aerobic work here and there. And you really saw a switch. I think one well, of the things, Oh, go ahead, Greg. Sorry. Well, so, yeah. I was just going to say, and, and as with the Jays there in kind of 97 ish, that's when they started having a strength coach. And I think you guys probably have heard of Jeff Crochelle. Like he became, yeah. you know, my first strength coach with the Jays and to this day, a great mentor. But I think all of that was just covered by the athletic therapist or you just did what you did. And, you know, the Blue Jays, great organization, as were the 
Dodgers very cutting edge in their in their day for just very fundamental on the field and the little things mattered. Um, but yeah, Crush, that's where I met him and many, many moons ago and we still keep up and, and I lean on him a little bit once in a while. So, but you just see that being a part of that transition as an athlete in that 90s, the 2000s. And you're right, guys were just huge. And now we know some of the guys were, were cheating in essence. Um, you know, I'm proud to say I never took a steroid in my life. Um, you know, and being a corner guy, first baseman, left fielder, um, you just kind of notice like, wow, that guy's got about 20% more pop than me in your head, you know, an anecdotal number, but, um, and later on seeing some of those guys in the Mitchell report, it's like, oh, okay, I got it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, I, nowadays I think that it's a cleaner game, which it should be, um, you know, and to speak of, you talked about nutrition, you know, and what, what are a couple of things I could have done differently? Number one nutrition. And, and with that, I include, you know, the hydration, you don't choose the cheap draft beer after a game instead of a, a water. Right. So we just, we kind of felt that, you know what, it didn't matter if you could still play, you know, hydration isn't a big deal. Um, and then the food side of it, you know, you're done at 1030. Well, where are you going? You're not going to a, a, a health food store. You're going to a restaurant, a pub or something that's closed uh, you know, the good restaurants are closed. So you're, you know, at times you're getting wings. And so now, and even at the major league level in the clubhouses, they're always improving that and tweaking nutrition. So I feel with our summer college team, those kids are smarter now, way less kids are drinking, using tobacco. Uh, they know what they got to put in their bodies. And, and that's a sign of the times you just, you try to step on the shoulders of the guys before you and, and try to learn. And, um, I was always a guy that as a hitter, I would learn who's a left-handed hitter on my team. I got to study. How are they pitching him not giving away that first at bat or two at bats to say, oh, okay, well, he did that to him, but I didn't believe he was going to do it to me. So part of that growth mindset is can you learn those around you, whether you're visually seeing it on the dugout and studying them and, you know, or, or from their stories and experience. And, um, you know, I, I probably make up hopefully for what I'm not in innovation and, uh, you know, um, player monitoring right now, uh, scientifically with, okay, what's the experience concept here? What can we lean on here from whether it's a 15 year old kid who I've talked to in my clinic, because he might've ramped up a little too soon in his season. And now he's got some tendonitis, um, to the older guys, you know, talking to a former major leaguer saying, you know, this guy's 55 years old. And I ask those guys when I'm sitting at a table, hey, what's going on? What, how's your body feel these days? And can we work backwards and triage that from a, you know, a 55 year old guy who played in the show pitch for 15, 20 years. Okay, now I'm working with a 10 year old pitcher in Medicine Hat, Alberta. Okay, well, this big righty, this power pitcher, he's getting, you know, uh, MCL, you know, work done now. He wore out the inside of that knee because his drive leg, he was just hammering into that medial compartment of the knee, um, you know, or, you know, he's getting his labral surgery done now or getting it redone and it's the third time. So I've always been a glutton from learning from others as opposed to, yeah, I got to go through it myself because N is only one and I, you know, I'm only one. But hopefully through all those hundreds of kids and players you play with for 10, 12 years, well, maybe N's a thousand for me. It's not N equals one. N is a thousand. And that's better than N equals one in my books. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking from, from your qualitative experience. I mean, we talk about the same thing quantitatively. That's a real big facet to what we offer at the Arm Care platform. We're just uncovering data now. You know, we, we have 
we definitely have over 1200, 1300 people using our app. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely realize we're going to get better and better with our interpretation, um, with more data. And I think, uh, in, in your, uh, timeframe, you were just a little early when the big analytics push happened, you know, in 2001, I think, so 2001 or 2002, they had Moneyball come out, you know, and, and that kind of was the progeny of all this, all the data and the importance of data, you know, and getting, getting, uh, you know, a big, big data set behind you to make in, you know, actionable decisions. But you also bring up something that is so important, you know, for all of us in the field is the power of conversation, you know, um, and being able to, to connect with athletes on a deeper level and learn from their experience. I mean, this is kind of the thing I like about our podcast and talking with you is because you, you know, you, you teach us something about your methods, your approach, um, you know, like what you're saying, the wear and tear on the body that gives us some insights in terms of what to do um, with our product and, and, and how we can service players. So I think that is, uh, that's, that thing's pretty amazing. Um, one of the things I want to shift gears and, and connect with you on is you're, you're now a GM of, you know, a, a collegiate summer league team in Canada and you're having, you know, athletes come from, I'm, I'm assuming mostly from the United States, but I'm, I'm wondering in terms of, you know, how, how, how do you manage all these players and how do you see this, the summer league team, you know, from a workload perspective, you know, the game schedules, um, cause the college coaches that are out there, you know, they're, they're generally concerned when athletes come back from the fall, have they done enough or not enough? Um, and, and how to manage that, that for the, the college athlete, because it's different than the pro guys, the pro guys generally have their off seasons, but when you think of college, you know, for three years, they're, they're just rolling from their college season into a summer league team. And uh, I'd love for you to kind of, you know, give us some insights there. Yeah, that's, that's become, you know, pitching is the biggest um, focus for summer college baseball. Rosters are expanding. So leagues are saying, hey, let's go from 30 players to 35 players because we just don't know where these pitchers are. Um, for me, that conversation starts with the coaches in September, October, and it's a, uh, hey, you know what, the spot's there, but even they don't know what his volume's going to be. Um, if this is a freshman and they're keeping him at 80 innings, well, if he runs up 60 in the spring, he's only got 20 left. That's a, that's a math equation. That's pretty simple. Well, maybe summer ball with my program it may or may not work. Is he, you know, is he going to the bullpen for us? Uh, so he can, you know, we can manage him only once or twice a week. So it comes back to that communication piece. And really with a lot of the college coaches, some are just like, yes, summer college baseball. We want to send them to you, Greg. We know they're in good hands. We want these guys coming back healthy. They, they never got what they got with us for uh, innings. We want them to go compete for a championship, play in front of, you know, 2000 fans on a Friday night and learn how to compete, learn how to win, because that is a part of development. You have you have your training and you have your in-game development. So we can't forget about the in-game development. And that's really what are the minor leagues? You're, you're in games to develop, to learn how to play, to learn how to win. The Jays used to talk about that. They loved our classmen of, you know, I, I got to come up with Vernon Wells, Mike Young, 
Caesar is tourist. We had like seven guys on that A-ball team that played in the big leagues. And guess what? We were a winning team that year. We didn't win the Florida State ring, but those guys knew how to win. Um, so playing in games matters. So to come back to summer collegiate, philosophically, if a coach feels that, um, you know, fall ball at their program might be a little bit more important uh, than playing for a championship, it is what it is. Some guys say, hey, no, you know what? If you guys play till August 16th, we might ramp them down a little bit, or we know this guy here is not going to pitch with us in fall ball. We want to ramp them down so we get them prepared for the spring. So it always comes back to that customization for the athlete, um, you know, because a, a, a junior guy who's thrown 75 innings, he probably isn't coming to us in the summer. He might need to ramp down. He might need to focus on recovery, do his strength and conditioning. So it's, it's just been a lot of work, a lot of time for me to get to, it used to be simple. We need 16 arms. I know who they are. Usually 12 to 14 of them are going to have 50 innings in them. Um, but it's really evolved and it's really changed. And I think for the better, it's a lot more management for me. Absolutely. But how do we solve this problem of kids and their arms? And I think if philosophically that always comes back to that focus, not this program, I want to win, or I got my job on the line, but it really comes about how do we keep these kids healthy, playing baseball from six to 36 years old, and all being a big baseball family, where it's like, let's periodize this thing. My periodization chart doesn't start May 28th with the summer college team. I want to know what that guy's been doing the whole 12 months, What's his strength and conditioning program? Like I, I got a 9,000 square foot facility that I rent a little treatment room out of. It's literally um, a seven iron away from the ballpark. Like it's right at the ballpark. So I make sure all our guys get their gym memberships. It's amazing. You know, I've been, I'll, I'll uh, summon some of the strength coaches to put them through cars and, and mobility work if they want it. But I don't say, hey, every one of you guys have to be over there because with 30 players, there might be 30 different programs, right? You got all these different colleges, uh, their pitching coaches talking to them. Um, so I don't say, hey, you have to do this while you're here. I try to provide those opportunities of, hey, do you want deep tissue? Do you want chiropractic? We'll look after that for you. What do you need? Here's the gym. Um, let's let's instead of uh, just having peanut butter and jams out, uh, you know, after batting practice, which hey, I love them, man. I'm a PB and J guy, but we, <laughs> we, you know, we've added you know, uh, pastas, we've added uh, veggies. Like we got these amazing greenhouses in Medicine Hat where we got cucumbers and tomatoes and. And it's funny because when you talk to the players, that's the stuff they bring up. They bring up the veggies and stuff, right? You know, it's like, hey, this is good. Like, thank you for this stuff. They're very appreciative for that stuff because they are getting smarter. I didn't know that having three PB&Js wasn't the best thing to have before a baseball game, right? Um, so, you know, it is what it is. But And, and sure, you're, you're still going to have some guys that don't want it. They don't touch the vegetables. But can we provide those guys that know and want the opportunities to get to that next level and learn about their body. Like you said, you know, phys ed classes in Europe, learning anatomy. And I had that conversation with our 10 year old group just two days ago, guys, learn about your body. We talk about the full squat pattern when we're warming up. Hey, where do you feel that? Oh, you feel that that's called your hamstring and your groin. That's your adductor muscle. If you push your elbows out, you're going to feel a bit of a stretch there. So I don't think it's ever too, you know, too soon to learn about your body. 
right? And learn about fitness and learn about mechanics of hitting and, and use these terms like rotation to these guys or hip airplanes to a 10 year old so that when they're 12, they go, Hey, I heard that from coach Mo two years ago. Right. And then it just gets easier and easier to build on that foundation for these guys. So sounds amazing. Uh, what you offer in a summer collegiate league. I mean, the ones I played with, they, they definitely didn't offer, you know, all that you offer, but you know, we kind of have a, a rare mix because Jordan's been a college coach and I think he's also played, you know, in some of these, maybe potentially in Canada, Jordan, I can't remember. You sent some players to so uh, I, Canada. I played indie ball in Canada against oh, some right. of those teams, but I have sent players. I mean, me and Greg talked previously, he knew some of the names that I had brought up with some of the players that I had sent to those leagues on the hitting side. Um, and I would always send my hitters up there because I knew they were going to get their reps. I knew they were going to get what they needed to. And what that league would always promise, I knew my guys were going to get. So that's that's one of the reasons I love sending my offense there. On the pitching side, I actually just I, – I was an assistant coach for one of those summer teams. In my pitchers, I would just take them with me so I could watch them myself. Um, but, again, I think he does – He it's it's a great job that he was explaining. You know, that there's these differences in the way things go. And he was saying it starts in September for him, for his kind of ramp up and how he's monitoring those guys. And he's dead on. You know, we have – you know, my manager loved it, but also hated it when I was coaching in college baseball, that as soon as the, the last day of the season ended, we'd be on the last plane flight, flight home, bus ride home. And I'd be going, OK, these are our graduating seniors. Here's the innings we need. I think we can count on this from this guy. And I'd be we got to recruit for 75 innings next year, whatever it was, you know, and it's almost the same when you're putting together those those rosters. And, you know, we may expect that a freshman's only going to give us 35 innings, but then he throws 93 for us. And now all of a sudden when we've committed that freshman to go somewhere and his innings cap has already, already hit, we know that we need to have a, a general manager or a, or a manager of a team that we can call and go, Hey, look, I know we said player a was going to you. He's used his innings up. We're, we, we can't send him this summer. We need to win here before we send him there. But on the other hand of that too, I've had starters that threw a ton and they do great for us. They do. Okay. But there's just those, still those performance anxieties that they have. And one of them right now, he's, he's a fantastic coach. He's coaching over at a, at a division one right now in Southern California. Um, he pitched fantastic for me, but he always have performance anxieties. And for me, it's like, Hey, you're starting for us, but I need you playing summer ball. Even though you threw 90 innings for us this year, I need you going out to play summer ball. And I need you to go be a, you know, pitch out of the pen, come in with runners on and learn how to handle these really uncomfortable situations. So he was a guy I would push hard to get into the Northwoods, push hard to get into the Cape to where every single one of those games is high pressure, high anxiety. So you, it's, that's what I like about summer balls. You can get those guys into those situations you need in a minor league setting because you don't get that in fall ball. There's no fans when you're playing fall ball. There's no real stress. There's no real anxiety. You can do what you can, but it's not the same as the, you know, the minor leagues. Like you're talking about when you're coming up with the Blue Jays where you're getting put in these situations to find out how you respond from a mental and emotional standpoint. It's not because you don't have the physical tools. Most of the guys do have the physical tools, but it's a matter of finding out what happens when you're in front of 2000, 3000, 5,000, and then all of a sudden 10,000, 20,000, you know? And that was one of the things is, is some of the leagues that I've coached in in the summer is a lot of these guys are coming from small schools from all over the nation. And they're going, Oh yeah, we get 50, 60 players at a game. And then all of a sudden you're playing, you know, and, and, whatever city it's going to be. And there's eight, 9,000 people in the stands in the middle of nowhere. And you're going, Oh, wow. Like this is, this is a different atmosphere. 
you know, and that's one of the things that guys, if you learn how to handle that stress and anxiety, when people are watching, it just, it just goes all the, all the furthermore. I mean, one of the things that you guys touched on, I, I kind of, I got a hit on this highlight that, that Greg was talking about. I just think what we're talking about when it comes to pitching is so interesting in terms of how you guys think you're pre-planning. How many innings do I need out of my pitchers? Who needs to fill in certain roles? You know, you're communicating, Greg, about, um, you know, expanding your roster. You know, and, and we're talking about the management of adult arms, you know, and I kind of would like to get your kind of impression of, you know, medicine hat, amateur baseball in general. You know, if it's like the United States, they may not be taking the same precaution. They may be having smaller rosters. They're not thinking about innings pitched. They're not putting athletes on a plan at times. And so I'd like to, I'd like you to kind of talk about that comparison between, you know, you ensuring that pitchers are utilized to their specifications and for their health opposed to, you know, what's going on at the 10 year old level. Yeah. And I can speak to this summer It's really been my first season as a, you know, a little league parent coaching uh, 10 year old baseball, some 10 year old all-star and medicine hat is a great little community. It is a hockey town, but um, there are, there were pitch counts, um, you know, and a lot of it I agreed with. I really like how you guys talked about, because um, with our pitch counts, I'm not sure where they pulled them from, if it was pitch smart or not. But if you are a pitcher and, and everybody knows most of the games are being thrown on the weekends because it's logistically the best way to do it for all stars. So you're traveling and you got a doubleheader on Saturday and you got a doubleheader on Sunday. But the consecutive pitching, you could pitch the two days in a row as long as you're under 20 pitches. So that's a big one for me where I really like, and I'll probably advocate that, hey, if, you, if you're pitching 20 pitches on Saturday, you don't get to pitch on Sunday. And probably what will happen is that that player will probably, he'll actually pitch his 40 or 50 or whatever the regulated is for that age group of nine or 10 years old. So I really liked to hear you guys talk about, you know, not pitching two days in a row, you know, at a, at a minor league or a college level, um, you know, we definitely wouldn't try to run a guy out there with our summer program three days in a row. But if a closer has to double up two days, I'm actually interested in some of your guys' thoughts on closing situations. How What's that implication with, uh, you know, a 19-year-old kid but I really like um, the, the pitch counts in the, you know, that young group. Um, I also like how um, ramping up properly. That's another one I want to advocate is, you know, it's, it's snow on the ground here till uh, mid late March. And when we get on the field, you might've had two practices underneath you, especially the house league, little league um, isn't ramping it up indoors for four weeks or throwing 10 times and wrapping it up. So I think there's a lot to learn for us at the lower levels, whether it's medicine hat or just globally of what's an ideal ramp up and what's logistically possible. It's one thing to have these kids under your tenure for 10 year, you know, or for 10 or 11 months, but what do you do with the 10 year old who they're not necessarily able to start throwing in mid February to ramp up for house league. Right. So those are the things where I think there's a lot of questions and things to figure out. And, and, and that's where I've really liked listening to you guys talk about 
a little more structure, ramping up properly. So that's what I'm really excited to, to you know, learn from you guys and, and really implement your programming. You're kind of catching me at an inflection point with my, um, you know, adding more science and more data and technology to both the summer college level as well as my youth level. So, you know, I will be, uh, you know, uh, getting your guys' strength and ROM testing and try to capture that data with a group of athletes on, okay, where are we at here in October? What's your range of motion and flexion? What's your external rotation? What's your internal rotation? And try to see what is that ratio. So I'm like, you guys are just, you're, you're preaching to the choir when you're talking about this sort of stuff to me and, and kinematic sequence and that sort of stuff. So I'm really uh, excited. We've crossed paths and excited to really be part of that movement of let's start. And it's going to take time. I mean, I think we all know there's no answers tomorrow on how we settle this. Um, you know, there's guys at the major league level in every organization, the, some of the smartest minds in the world. You guys were some of them, of course, of trying to say, how do we figure this out? Um, you know, I'm a believer that it does start sooner. Um, you know, if you're getting growth plate stuff at 12, okay, what's, what's happening? You're starting to lose some of that elbow extension at 16. Okay. Now what's happening at 22. So, you know, how do you look at a snapshot of an athlete over their entire career? And like I said, it goes back to talk to the 50 year old guys who pitched for 25 years. Okay. Let's work backwards from that. Okay. And let's capture some of that data, you know, so, but it's exciting. I think uh, it's very a passion thing for me and I know it is for you guys too. So um, it's, it's great to talk about it, quite frankly. You've touched on a lot of good points. I mean, we, we want a process that's led by strength and essentially, you know, by looking at post pitching strength and post bullpen strength, it should allow us to know how to allocate our pitch counts. It should give you some indication, you know, if, if the athlete is losing more than 10% strength from their recovered state post throwing, um, they're fatiguing. You know, there's a little bit too much fatigue that's going on. Um, and, um, you, you make some great, uh, points about, you know, what we offer, uh, from the insights on, on pitch counts, but at the college level, we really don't want to see guys go three days in a row because we don't do that in pro ball. You know, there's another interesting parody that in pro ball versus college. Now there's, there's even more strict, you know, guidelines about the use case of prospects and in, in, in their, uh, in their development. But one of the things, and Jordan, I, Jordan can attest to it too. We, when we monitored strength of athletes at the beginning of the season, okay. Using very sophisticated tools, not like our portable dynamometer, we had seen that strength was quite low at the beginning of the season. And that's, that's kind of a problem because you know, these athletes aren't assessing their strength in the off season. We didn't really know what they come in with. And then when we do their physicals, we're like, wow, you know, this, this guy's under where he was last year when he exited this, this season. And so at the beginning of the season, we had to come up with a process and, and think about how can we continue the ramp up phase while they're competing. So we put our heads together and we said, okay, we, we need to go with a 70, 80, 90, 100 progression. So in the first four starts or first four outings, we need to give the athlete an, an opportunity to uh, acclimate. And a lot of the athletes that you see, I'm sure at your 10-year-old uh, level, your young athletes, they're probably not throwing to batters during their buildup in the offseason. 
And, and if you watch pitchers, you know, I, I was charting pitchers and, and Jordan, you know, as he, he was manning uh, technology and radar guns and all sorts of stuff during the bullpens. But you can see when they're throwing bullpens, their velocities are down four to six miles an hour on average from their average game velocity. They just don't have the adrenaline. So, you know, that's another element that we have to be kind of conscious of as coaches at all levels is that when they come in and they haven't prepared, so their strength's low and they haven't had the adrenal spike, they're going to end up throwing really hard kind of on ball tires. You know, we don't, we don't know. And Jordan makes the analogy of having a Ferrari. Um, uh, they're moving like a Ferrari and they might have the engine of a Pinto and the equipment of a Pinto. And, and, you know, there needs to be a chance where, you know, at the beginning of that season, we're boosting strength. So the, the pitch counts are lower and our emphasis on training is higher so that we can mon- measure those, those gaps and we can then come up to a point where now the athlete has maximized their strength and we can now maximize their pitching counts, you know, and the other things that we, we suggest as well is it's called uh, undulation. So being able to have a wave load and we scaffold it, meaning that if they hit a hundred percent of their pitch counts, especially in your adult population or your professional population and college population, we suggest to come down to 90% for the next outing to give them a little bit more recovery before they go back up to a hundred. So it kind of goes in a wave pattern because what can happen, especially with better pitchers, they go deeper into games and they throw more constantly and they don't have the opportunity to kind of get, get through recovery. And what we worry about, we always talk about strength matters most. We don't want strength to decline in season. That's why we have to monitor it. And these in the interplay of pitch counts and strength, they have to work together. So I can kind of roll it over to Jordan because I know he's looking. Yeah, to speak. I, I, I want to touch on that because, you know, one of the things Greg talked about was paying attention to the guys who pitched for 25 years. And I don't remember which manager it was, but I, you know, I've heard Pedro Martinez tell a story about how they were, you know, pushing. They were they're in that pennant chase. He was dominating one game and the manager takes him out of the game. And, you know, the fifth inning, sixth inning, whatever it was. He goes, what are we doing? I've only thrown like 80 pitches. I feel great. I'm dominating. We're winning for nothing. Like I'm holding this lead. He goes, yeah, that's great. But we're going to lessen your pitch count today because we need you throwing 115 in the postseason. So without using the word undulate, they were undulating Pedro's pitch totals because they go, we need this guy to be ready in 45 days from now. That's great. We beat, you know, Cincinnati, Detroit, Minnesota, whoever it may be today but we're going to need to rely on the bullpen so we can lessen your load so we can increase it at the right time. So even though it was, you know, the end of the season, the last third of the year, he was built up for no restrictions. They were still putting those regulations on there to make sure he was recovered when it actually mattered more, uh, mattered the most. So it's again, you take the research, you take the experience, you combine the two and you get a pretty well-rounded system. Jordan, you, you had closers going back to back, but you were monitoring them uh, extensively, correct? Uh, at the pro level, we wouldn't let a guy go back to back till they got to the big leagues. Some organizations say AAA. Um, I don't know of any organizations that push back to back days prior to AA. Um, I may be wrong on this. I may have changed. I know they've had a lot of shift with their organization, but the Pirates used to start doing it in AA with a couple guys. Um, but that would be the time they would start 
considering a guy big league ready was double A if they can go back to back, get him to triple A, get him to the big leagues. Um, and in college, you know, I didn't have dynamometry, but I would be, you know, checking guys as best I could. I would look at jump measures uh, at the time to see kind of how guys were bouncing back. I would look at, oh man, sprints. Now I would, people don't quite understand it, but I would have these, these guys run these things called intervals after a game and they're miserable. It's, you know, sprinting and walking, sprinting and walking. And they just thought I was doing this stuff just to be a jerk in the sense, but I was measuring what their times and their averages were. And now all these guys are going to know, but as soon as those sprint times started to decrease after they had pitched in the game, I knew that guy wasn't ready to be on the card tomorrow. If his sprint times were still high, I knew it wasn't overly taxing. So without having dynamometry, I tried to come up with some as best I could ways to figure out who was fresh for me and not. Uh, it worked pretty well. We didn't have any relievers go, go on the injured list other than we had a couple of oblique strains, things like that. But, um, you know, overall though, I, I tried my best, but in pro ball, we did at the big league level, we didn't monitor guys. Yeah. I mean, we, at the pro ball at the major league level, we had a guy that went out, I think it was 14 times in a row, 14 or 15. Yeah. Yeah. It, we, he went out that many times and, you know, obviously I, I don't want to give the name of this athlete, um, but he was, he was very robust, strong, did not look like a pitcher. You know, he, he was, he was built like a third baseman, you know, corner outfielder, just, you know, really high density like of muscle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. High density of muscle mass, good, good mobility. Um, he had a really good process. You know, his preparation was immense when he came in the door and out of the door, one of the last pitchers to leave, you know, was not afraid to get maintenance from the trainers, the clinical staff. He did not believe in, you know, don't go in that room. Um, that's no good for me. He, he, he ensured that his car was at a, you know, a, a peak yeah. level. In terms um, of kinematic sequence properties too, that guy. Yeah. He had some fantastic acceleration, deceleration, peak speeds, yeah. the timing of rotation. If you wanted yep. to create a, kind of like a picture perfect preparation and maybe he, that was the best he's ever pieced it together over his career, but that was like, there was a lot of things he did. Right. Yep. Logged, logged a lot of innings as a reliever. And, um, and that's important. You know, uh, we, we had that, we had both his process. So the, you know, the people that are listening the coaches and the kids that maybe listen to this podcast is that you got to dial in your routine. You're, not only your preparation routine, your mental routine, your post, you know, outing routine, you know, your sleep habits, all of those things have to come together, which this person had dialed in. Um, but with, then we had this extension of having objective data that we could say, Hey, you know what? He's, he's not losing strength. You know, he's, he's, he's good to go. And, and then again, we had that layer of communication, you know, and he, you know, he, he is, was internally motivated to be out there. You know, he, he was a good communicator um, of things. Brother was a strength coach. He, he, his brother is a strength coach at a, at a university in the United States. Um, just high pedigree of training for uh, for this particular pitcher. So he had all these yeah. things that are wrapped into a player that that can go back to back. You know, and his yeah, coaches. Real, real he, quick on that, too. I think it's it, this goes back into something Greg mentioned earlier about how he doesn't tell the players what they need to do, but he provides them. Hey, you need a chiropractor. You need this. You need look, here's vegetables. You don't want them. Great. They're there if you need them, but he's providing in a sense, the buffet, 
of what the athlete's going to need. And he's not forcing anything on them from that general manager standpoint. Neither are the coaches, obviously, because that's what it comes down to is they're, they're in a sense, renting these players out. And he understands if he's getting a player from, you know, Stephen F. Austin or wherever it may be that he's borrowing that player for the summer and he needs to provide them with what they need. And my biggest thing is you see it in the minor leagues, you see it in the big leagues, you see it a ton in college summer ball is people start to care too much about what others are going to think when it comes to their process. And this player that Ryan is, is referencing did not care what anybody thought when it came to his process. I'm going to the training room. Doesn't matter. Even if I go see the grumpy trainer, I'm going to make sure I get what I need done. Like I'm going to make sure that's taken care of because I'm going to stay being a millionaire is what this guy was saying, you know? And that's the one thing is you send a player to summer ball. And if they go to an atmosphere where all of a sudden they're like, well, I'm, I'm not comfortable doing what I normally was because I might look funny. And then they back off and they have a, they have an unproductive summer. And then you have a guy who's done everything they can in the whole off season. And they go into spring training and someone goes, ah, that looks weird. I'm not going to, well, someone said it looks weird. I'm not doing this anymore. And they get away from their process. And that's what I think is important, you know, for a college player. And that's, that's kind of what I want to revolve this little topic around is you need to choose the summer league. You need to choose the program that you're going to thrive in just because it's the big D one doesn't mean it's the right one for you. Just because it's the, the big name summer league doesn't mean it's the right one for you. It has to be the right situation for you to thrive in, to do your process. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that too. And, and it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to talk to me as a GM, you know, from the player or through the coach of, Hey coach, what are you offering here? What's the host family situation? That's a huge, huge question for these guys. You know, are they getting a mattress thrown on a floor somewhere with two other guys in the same room? Or has that been vetted out? Or it's in a, a two-bedroom. I've lived in a barn before. Yeah. Somewhere, you know? <laughs> yeah. Is is there Wi-Fi? How close is it to the ballpark? These are questions that kids can't be afraid to ask nowadays. You know, in the 90s, you you know, you didn't usually speak till you're spoken to and you didn't ask too many questions. And it's evolving, the athletes evolving. And we have to evolve as coaches and as GMs and as leagues to, to, you know, get these guys where they need to be. And that's why, you know, your philosophy, your values, it's more important than anything in any market, in any business. Are you on the same page? What do you believe in? Right. Not living on this binary, you know, I'm either all this or all that. We all know movement isn't like that. Movement is a continuum of degrees, right? So we got to say, you know, are you a front foot hitter or a back foot hitter? Do you do you try to, you know, launch and, and, and do this or you drop and drive? It's not so simple. We like to label movement, but you guys all know you can't label movement. I mean, there's a point where, yeah, now we know this guy's too far forward with his center of gravity. He's come too far. Now that kinematic sequence is off. He's not getting that good transfer. But we need to think more in continuums and not binary, whether it's movement or these programs, and, and try to really customize it for the kids so that those kids and coaches and parents, right? I talked to more parents in the last five years at the college level than I did the first 10 years because it's okay for your parent to call and, and initiate a conversation, right? So it's just, it always comes back to that, put more time into that side of it. If you call it the soft skills, call it what you want, but we need to get that communication piece going and talk to these guys so they feel comfortable and that coach feels comfortable with them getting in a plane and flying somewhere for two and a half months and becoming part of a community 
And that's what I tell these guys. You're going to become part of our town for two and a half months. You know, my dad does the Jersey raffles, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's small town, ma and pa. And that's what these guys, that's, you know, that's really what minor league baseball is, was whatever you want to say, but these smaller communities of these guys remember it. We're in touch with guys who played for me 10 years ago and, you know, they're in their thirties. They got kids and still wearing their Mavs hoodie and still what's going on man right like that's why I do it is I was very lucky to get that opportunity and had you know 20 30 different coaches who had played major league baseball I was flown all over the world with team Canada and I really feel like it's a duty to try and give back to these guys whether it's a local 18 year old medicine hat boy who's coming back home to play summer ball or a guy from you know uh, California that says I want to go to Canada man I like to fish. I heard they treat guys right up there. I want to see, you know, uh, you know, uh, Calgary and Banff on my off days. So it's it's all about the experience of life, you know, not to get too philosophical and and get in the same boat with those guys that want to go the same direction, right? So, and I'm, you know, I'm 45 years old. I hope I got another 20, 30 years in this game of being able to throw batting practice. But uh, you know, ironically, you're talking hockey. I, I bumped my AC joint last night. I was playing men's league hockey, right? So it's such a cliche, but I'm sitting there going, oh, I got to do extra prep work today. That shoulder's a little stiff today, but, um, you know, that's <laughs> that's uh, that's where we are in Canada. We're gluttons, and you said it. We're kind of the oddballs that were baseball guys in Canada. But the last 10 years, there's just more guys, Boda and uh, Votto and all these guys in the big leagues and Larry Walker. And, you know, it's just it's exciting for Canadians to know we have a place in this world game of baseball. Yeah. Well, I don't have too much more to add other than we're excited to get, you know, our product into you and, and, and helping your, your summer uh, pitchers uh, and, and keeping those, those college pitching coaches dialed in to know that they're in good hands. And it just sounds like you got a great process all around in terms of your coaching approach, your clinical approach and overseeing, you know, your team. So, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that you're able to come talk to us on my end. Well, thank you guys for putting the content out, like from your blogs to your podcast, like you guys are giving, you know, so much information out there that I think the world knows it's, it's, it's a passion project more than anything else. And, um, you know, I think we got a ways to go and I think you're getting us one step closer uh, to keeping these guys on the field and healthy. So I appreciate what you guys are all doing. Awesome. Greg, this was a pleasure. Um, you know, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast, um, please do. Uh, if you got any questions, let us know either on YouTube or on uh, the armcare.com site and we'll get back to you, but, uh, you know, best of luck to everybody. And, uh, until next time.